Hey, podcast listeners. Before we jump into this week's episode, we wanted to ask a quick favor. We're going to be taking a break from creating new episodes this summer, starting after the June 6th show, where we're going to look at what to expect at Art Basel and Basel. Before we take off, we want to hear from you about what you'd like to hear more of when we're back in the fall and what kinds of shows you'd want to listen to in the future. Just head over to artsy.net backslash podcast survey and tell us what you think. Thanks, and here's the show. Hello, and welcome to the Artsy Podcast. I'm your host, Isaac Kaplan, joined this week by Deputy Editor Scott Indrasek. Hi, Isaac. Editor Casey Lesser. Hi, Isaac. Hello, and Executive Editor Alexander Forbes. Hey, Isaac. So we've assembled this group to talk about one of the art world's most divisive topics, the Instagram-friendly museum. Um, By this, of course, we mean the museums of ice cream, the museum of pizza, uh, and similar institutions, in air quotes, uh, that that cater to Instagram lovers more than art lovers. In addition to. In addition to, sorry. So there's a really diverse range of opinion on this. Some people think these kind of spaces are vapid and empty, while others say they're fun, immersive, maybe even point to the future of experience. So we visited one such space, uh, and we'll be giving you a rundown of our thoughts. But before we get there, I think it's worth sort of taking a step back and and, uh, talking about the history, again, maybe in air quotes, of of these museums since they're so new. Um, When did they kind of begin? What was the first sort of famous one that put these on the map? So the Museum of Ice Cream started in the summer of 2016 in New York. Um, And so a lot of people have probably seen this on Instagram if they haven't visited in person. Unfortunately, none of us have visited in person. One of the highlights is you can jump into this pool of sprinkles. um, And there's a lot of very Instagram-friendly, brightly colored rooms that you can go through and take pictures in. And like big celebrities have gone. Yeah, Beyonce. Beyonce, yeah. And there's also Refinery 29's 29 Rooms, which was sort of an Instagram-friendly ripoff of the concept of an exhibition series that Klaus Biesenbach and Hans Ulrich Obrist had been doing earlier in the decade. Um, One of the iterations happened at Art Basel and Basel, um, I believe in 2014, but in which you could like enter into each one of these rooms and have a different art experience. My understanding is that the 29 Rooms version was more of a photo-taking experience. Branded photo-taking experience. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, definitely branded because from what I heard, there was like uh, like a Dunkin' Donuts room, maybe. Like it was it was very much like the color motifs were based around brands and stuff like this. So Refinery 29's 29 Rooms actually started in 2015. And I think in addition to brands, they have artists working as well. So I think everyone definitely has an idea of what these spaces kind of look like because you've seen your friends posting about them on Instagram, but for the listener who may not know, basically, while they all are kind of different in terms of themes, you know, pizza versus ice cream, um, they tend to be very brightly colored. There tends to be a lot of mirrors uh, to, to increase ease of selfie. There's sometimes ball pits. Casey, you alluded to the sprinkle pit at the Museum of Ice Cream. Um, there's sort of like a series of installations, kind of, different rooms, uh, and they're and they're full of people taking selfies so you wouldn't know that necessarily watching like looking at people's selfies that they take there because they manage to you know box people out and get get make it seem sort of like an intimate experience i also think another important point is there's not much like the educational mission of a museum isn't really at play here like you're not going to go to the museum of ice cream and walk away being like oh ice cream was invented in 
whatever year it was invented in by these, <laughs> you know, uh, it's more, it's purely like a visual experience from right. what I gather in most well, of these places. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the, this word museum, but I just, before we get there, I just want to talk a little bit about like the spectrum of it. So I kind of gave a, a of these institutions, so I gave kind of a broad sweeping overview, but there are a lot, there are a lot of different kinds of Instagram friendly immersive spaces. And I, I know Casey, you, you were speaking to the creator of one called Meow Wolf, which is sort of maybe the most high budget one uh, out there. I don't know how much Museum of Ice Cream and Museum of Pizza have, but Meow Wolf is actually an artist collective and they have a giant immersive space in Santa Fe called the House of Eternal Return made by artists. Um, so it the collective has grown massively. It's over 300 artists who work for it full time now. They have salaries through this installation. And basically, it's this high production value journey that you go through. It's in a former bowling alley. You walk into this Victorian era house, well, faux Victorian era house, and basically you wander through it and then go through the refrigerator into this like other world that's all fantastical. I just want to pause there because you're not kidding. I've seen a video of this. Like you literally open the refrigerator door and walk through the refrigerator. Yeah. It's it's crazy. So the whole thing is kind of like escaping reality, going into this alternative universe. So you go through the refrigerator and enter this fantastical world that um, is more imaginative and kind of has these interactive art elements to it, a lot of like video elements. Um, but it's not actually super Instagrammable. Um, so it's very different than something like maybe the Egg House or Museum of Ice Cream or now there's this selfie museum in LA. So, so I think what probably rankles people the most about these spaces uh, among those people who are rankled by them is the use of the word museum, which has highbrow connotations while these Instagram inst- institutions, for lack of a better phrase, have sort of mass populist uh, associations. Like Scott, you, you sort of were just talking about this. Do you think the word museum makes sense here, or no? I don't. I don't think it does. I mean, there's well, because there's you know, there's a. I was looking back at it, there's an interview with Mary Ellis Bunn, who is the person who started the Museum of Ice Cream, and in, this is in Forbes, and the interviewer just says the obvious question: Why create a museum? And she responds: When we were looking at names, museum was something people understood, which is interesting to me because. The dictionary definition of museum is basically an institution devoted to like the care and display of objects of lasting interest or value, which I, I, you know. I, so that that makes me think that people actually don't understand what the word museum means if they're okay with it being slapped on something that's that might be fun, but that is most definitely not a museum. For me, what I think is weird about the use of the word museum, and I you know should say off the bat that I don't actually think museums are like should be valued as these incredible sacred spaces that, you know, people shouldn't enjoy as if, you know, that people shouldn't feel comfortable in or get their value through exclusion. But I do think that when it's attached to sort of uh, things like the Museum of Ice Cream, it really inverts, well, for one thing, it, it uses sort of like this sacred cultural thing, this museum, essentially for branding purposes, like it becomes a brand. And also uh, it inverts the thing that you actually do at a museum, like at a museum, fundamentally, you're looking at objects, you're like looking at works of art. At one of these selfie museums, you are the object and you're looking at yourself. So it, it's sort of 
a weird and I don't think people are very critical about that flip in any in any sort of meaningful way. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that it's making museums more accessible. A lot of people don't know what to do when you go into a museum and there's a painting on the wall. Like what do you do? You just look at it. Like if you have no background in art, you can feel really uncomfortable in that situation. I think I, I, I tend to agree with you, Casey. I, I also feel like you have to ask before getting kind of incensed about these things. Like what harm could it possibly be doing? Do we really think that you know, people are going to the Museum of Ice Cream and not the Bass? Or, you know, at the very least, are those people, you know, haven't thought about going to the Bass and, and when it was in its Miami iteration or, you know, aren't going to the uh, the Whitney but might go to the Museum of Pizza and then might think that a museum is for them. Yeah, you know, it's 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 hard to understand, like, what the conversion rate on, on including a museum in the, in the name of these things is. But I also think that the the art world has a tendency to get upset about things on principle that like maybe just don't really affect them. I think it would be a mistake for people in, you know, museum education departments to be prescriptive about how people walking into their institutions interact with a work of art. Someone taking a selfie in front of a painting is a, a valid way of interacting with it, but that is still different from taking a selfie uh, in a pit of sprinkles. Like, ultimately, the point of an institution, a me- like a museum, like the Met, is to illustrate history. It's to get you thinking about complicated issues, to challenge you. Not everyone who walks in there will have that interaction, but I don't believe that on any level, uh, the Museum of Ice Cream and the Museum of Pizza is attempting to do that. And even if you walked in trying to have that experience, you would be unable to. I don't think anyone's actually confused. I mean, to me, it, like using the word museum the way they do, treating it like it's flexible, would be the same as if all these places were called like the Church of Ice Cream or the Church of Pizza. <laughs> like, you wouldn't look at that and be like, you're confusing people. They're going to think they're going to a church and then they're not going to realize what a real church is. It's just like... I think I think it's under it's a shared understanding that like this is not really a museum. It's not confusion necessarily. It's just part of like a broader trend where things just become surface level, like a hundred percent sheen. I guess the only the only interesting thing to me is that it would actually affect quote unquote real museums is if quote unquote real museums look at the Museum of Ice Cream and they say, Wow, this costs whatever it costs, three hundred dollars, no, twenty five dollars to go here. And they're getting this this much foot foot traffic. Is the Whitney then going to start saying, changing their programming in some way to kind of bring in that sort of selfie happy audience? That to me would be the only time it would actually affect real museums. Would that be such a negative thing if a museum like the Whitney attracted a wider audience? So I mean, I think it's it's up up to debate. Now we wouldn't want to see them necessarily like only you know throw away their contemporary art programming and, and turn the whole thing into a giant sprinkle pit maybe. But I think you have to take a step back and look at what these things are replacing. Uh, on the one hand, it's responding to consumer trends away from consumption and towards experiences, particularly among millennials and Gen Z. And so you're actually seeing, at least in some of these cases, um, whether they're companies that are being formed or are one-offs, it's filling empty retail space um, 
or in, in the case that we visited a, a former gallery, and we'll get into that. But it's responding to these larger consumption trends. And, you know, I don't know, again, I, I don't think that, like, is it worse for somebody to go to take some selfies rather than sitting at home and watching TV? One, they're not burning calories, and one, they might be eating ice cream. Like, it's probably net-net, like, the same effect on your health, but... I also don't have a problem with, like, museum programming. Because you mentioned the Bass, and I think the last time we were... Some of us were all there was uh, the Mika Rotenberg show at the Bass, which is, like, very over-the-top, very entertaining. Definitely, you could, if you wanted to, take some crazy wild selfies in those kind of environments. And I, I have no problem with that at all, you know? I'm thinking just now of... Uh, a couple of years ago, there was a show at Tanya Benakdar of Ernesto Neto, where the centerpiece of it was like a big tent with an acoustic guitar in it and a bunch of chairs, and you could just hang out in this weird environment and play the guitar. And I definitely spent a lot of time there and had and took selfies there. So it's not it's not like I think there's a room for everything. I think the only problem is if the programming skews so much towards everything having to be that. Well, one, one interesting example um, is, is in China, a lot of the private museums in particular do program in selfie moments into the exhibition. So, for example, the M Woods, which is a museum in Beijing, always has some sort of selfie strategy. And there's, they're a little bit known for this. But, you know, in a, during an Andy Warhol exhibition, uh, it was this installation, I'm forgetting the names of, of these silver balloons that you could kind of grab and play and pose with. In Paul McCarthy's show, they had to take a slightly different tack um, since his work is uh, maybe not something you would like, pose in, in front of as much. But he actually created this cutout thing, like you might see it in an amusement park or whatever that you could put your head through. Uh, and apparently he'd been wanting to do this for a long time. And so you could kind of pose as one of his funny characters. And I think, you know, it's a museum that attracts a line out the door sometimes for these experiences. And the people also go through the entire show in order to get there. Do they do they actually identify? Does it is there like a sign that says like selfie moment? The same way there would be like a scenic view sign on a side of a highway? Or? No, I think oh, it's like putting out honey in a field of bees. <laughs> but that's you see that I still think that's different than like a, a space that pops up solely for Instagram moments, and that's also different from Meow Wolf, which I think is super cool and interesting. Wait, but back to the Museum of Ice Cream and those ones. People are going in there without having to worry about, am I going to get the art? Do I have to have some prior knowledge? Do I have to challenge myself? It's like, I just had a really stressful week at work. I just want to like go to this place, take some fun pictures with my friends. Like We can't fault them for Oh, that. yes, we can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, relating to, to something that you write about a lot, Isaac, and I know it's kind of Casey's core area here at Artsy, uh, and on some level, going and taking a bunch of photos in an environment is a creative exercise. Uh, you know, Isaac, you cover a lot of studies about the positive impacts of creative expression on people's health and wellness. Um, so I'm curious, like, how that affects your perception. I mean, of candidly, these. I have not thought about that at all. Um, but I will, you know, I will say that I don't think, you know, I do think the art world has a problem like you said, Alex, sort of reactively criticizing things because they're popular. But at the same time, I don't think something being popular shields it from criticism. And while like point taken, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go stand on a corner and like yell at people uh, <laughs> for, for going to the Museum of Ice Cream. I don't, frankly, I don't care that much. But if, if you're like 
putting me in a room and giving me a microphone and being like, what do you think? I'm going to be like, these are kind of empty experiences. Like, they just seem that way. Well, another point that we haven't talked about yet is, like, if you went to, like, a James Terrell installation, right? That's immersive. That's super entertaining. You don't really need to know much about James Terrell or anything else to enjoy that. But it's not really set up just to take selfies of yourself. And I think in a lot of them, they actively say, like, no cameras, don't do not do that. Yeah. And it's, I think the issue is, like, with a lot of these Instagram-ready institutions, is it actually an immersive experience that you would enjoy even if, like, you didn't bring your phone or you couldn't take any pictures? Because I think in, in terms of the place that we went to, that we will talk about shortly, like, yes, it was fun to take pictures, for sure. And we definitely took pictures. But if it was just the experience, that experience was not, like, a mind-blowing, immersive, entertaining experience. I think we've held back long enough. I think we it's time can. to hatch this. It's time to hatch this. <laughs> uh, everyone is laughing at uh, Scott's pun because the uh, Instagram-friendly space that we went to, which, to its credit, doesn't use the word museum, uh, is called the Egg House. It was down on the lower east side. The four of us made an excursion there a little while ago. Alex, I think you really got the history lesson, so why don't you just bring bring our listeners up to speed on the origins of the egg house. What came first, the chicken or the, uh, the egg house? When we went to the egg house, we actually had a very helpful, very excellent, you might say, attendant um, who gave us the uh, rundown. Basically, it was a, a group of students from NYU, Parsons, SVA, and Pratt. Some interior designers, some designers, some some artists, some kind of marketing people um, who got together, but the the ringleader of it all really likes brunch apparently, and began thinking about um, some of these other food-based institutions, and realized that you know one of her favorite foods, eggs, was actually one of the most universally enjoyed foods around the world across cuisines, which I actually think is kind of interesting if you look at that. That versus, is an interesting piece of information. I didn't know that. Um, so she wanted to create an experience that would celebrate this universal appeal of the egg, uh, which again, I think going into it, we we're all like, why why eggs of, of all different yeah, it things? Yeah, seems fairly arbitrary. Maybe. Very arbitrary. Yellow, I guess, is a fun color. So I live relatively nearby and past the egg house sometimes on the way to the grocery store on the weekends, and the line out the door is something really to behold. The person who was helping us go around and have an excellent time was saying that they let in 50 people at any one go and they can get in a thousand people on a weekend day. So at like $18 a pop for the tickets, you're talking about a $18,000 business for two weekend days. I don't know if it's always that popular, but that's like not a bad deal. Um, for them, the people we saw were having a pretty good time. I mean, let's let's get let's dive in there. Well, also, I think it's worth just reversing to something you alluded to, Alex. That this and that Casey had mentioned that the location where this pop up is happening in used to house CRG Gallery, which is no longer in business, which is kind of crazy because you know as an art gallery, the same exact location. I would assume they'd probably be pretty have been pretty psyched if they got fifty people on an entire Saturday going through there, and that's a free experience, no eggs involved. But so it's, it's, it's sort of a level of magnitude that's clearly blowing like a free art gallery out of the water in terms of like just general interest. Yeah, so Casey, um, maybe you can walk us through uh, the egg house. What was it like, the egg experience? Um, 
We have to donate like $10 to charity for every egg pun we make here, I think. We did not pay for our tickets, by the way, just for our own. The Egg House was very generous to host us. So you walk in, and it's not a very big space. It's like a small New York gallery. On the left, there was a mural, something about living sunny side up or scrambled. Then you keep walking. There are some spatulas on the ceiling, um, another kind of mural, and then a giant egg carton that you can get inside and take pictures with. Which we did. Which we did, of course. There's also like this small egg shell that you can climb inside and kind of wobble around in. When we got there, one of the uh, attendance was in it, but then Scott got in. It's also, I have to say, uh, it's a fairly dangerous place. <laughs> um, just be it warned. Sharp. It is sharp. I would not, if I had children, I would not bring them necessarily to the egg, the egg house. Um, the carton was kind of the popular selfie uh, spot. Then keep walking, and there was a ball pit with white and yellow balls. The balls were not egg-shaped, unfortunately. Um... <laughs> And then, oddly, there were, like, cacti around, like, these cactus sculptures that were, like, neon. Which we got a good explanation for. You keep walking and you get to this final room where there's a girl sitting with this large egg. And you learn that this is the protagonist of the egg house. His or her name is Ellis. They said sometimes um, they refer to it as a and sometimes as a girl. Ellis is this egg that comes from a place called Sunset Island, hence the cactus. Um, <laughs> that, desert, that's what we were told. Island, desert Island. Ellis is venturing through New York City. There's a video of Ellis in Union Square and Times Square having a great time in New York City. But in that room, Ellis is kind of sleeping on a bed and has like a bunch of empty pizza boxes. It's like... I mean, listen, I don't want to dwell too much on the egg house. Everyone who worked there was very nice. We had a, I think we enjoyed going there. That said, the uh, dream, like like the, the fantasy world that they've concocted for this egg is kind of, was funny to me because in some ways it's it's sort of like the typical narrative of like someone coming to New York and then living like on nothing and barely scraping by. Like there was a, a box, there was a, there's a series of pizza boxes piled up just covered in grease next to... Ellis's bed. I think we're painting like a brighter picture. (laughs) (laughs) Ellis, I mean, like, I think anyone listening will assume Ellis had like a face and like some hands and I don't know, or like moved (laughs) with like an animatronic toy. But Ellis is actually just a very large plastic egg with no defining features that they cart around to different locations in New York. And like take pictures of. So I think there was a face projected onto it. There was a little bit of projection. Uh, For some reason, that room was dark. So after you visit Alice in their room, um, you go downstairs and there's this neon, like lit purple greenish space um, with a swing that you can go in. Also a little bit dangerous. Yes, dangerous. Um, (laughs) You could fall out. Scott so, was clearly scared the entire time we were there. Um, but our attendant was telling us that it's fun for kids. They enjoy kind of wandering around this space. Um, and then other than that, there are a lot of 20-year-olds that go to take photos. Something to be said for the egg house is that it looks very nice in photos. So you can see why people, if they want to take a cool selfie, it could be a good place and, for that. And this, to me, was the perfect metaphor, though, because 
all it's supposed to do is look good in photos. But actually, when you're there, it's a little scuffed up. You know, it's a quite. It's kind of dirty. They've cut a few corners. They've for cut sure. a few corners, and and that distance between the reality and what shows up on Instagram to me was uh was a jarring was was jarring. You it's know? become a conceptual artwork that reflects on the state of our time. That's really. true. Literally what I was thinking. It's yes. true. When we're inside the egg crate, you know, if you were looking at that amazing photo we took, it looks great. It looks like an actually huge egg, but in reality, the actually huge egg was actually just a large hunk of slightly dirty styrofoam that you almost didn't really want to get too close to. There was just a, a serious disconnect between, like, I don't know, your expectations and and how it actually played out, I would say. I, I think it's safe to say that uh, we all left feeling a little anxious. I know, like, when I got in there, I immediately felt anxious. I think that's probably more due to my lack of liking to take selfies. But it was interesting to see how other people who had specifically gone there to take pictures were interacting with the space. Um, we were told that a weirdly large percentage of the population that comes through is exactly 20 years old. Um, also, there are a lot of Chinese tourists and, and tourists from other parts of the world, uh, but particularly China and the, the egg house is going to travel to Shanghai afterwards, where I'm sure it'll be a, a massive success. But kind of almost looping back to what we were discussing at the beginning, they did seem to be getting a lot of joy out of the experience regardless of our approach to it. It's an interesting tension that I don't know if it's like the goal should be how do we get those people into art museums? Is that is that good enough in and of itself for them to be um, there? I guess we didn't ask them if they had been at the MoMA earlier that day. We'll have to go back. We'll have we to could look back. at their Instagram feeds. I, I think maybe the last question worth asking is you know we've talked a little bit about these instagram friendly museums as if they're totally schismed off from the art world but there are certainly works of fine art broadly acknowledged by the art world that kind of play into this immersive category which is of growing value to to museum visitors clearly and also to to artists to some extent so i guess the question would be like is there a difference between the Rain Room, which was at MoMA and attracted huge crowds, and the Museum of Ice Cream. I'll just let you guys go around the circle and answer that. Scott, let's start with you. No, I think it's pretty much the same thing. And I think there's plenty of just even more like highbrow gallery shows that frankly are like selfie opportunities. You know, like the one I could think of is this show of Cosima von Bonin's recently at Petzl Gallery, which was one big piece of these like enormous cartoon like sharks and fish playing guitars and stuff like this. It was like totally over the top. I really liked it. I definitely took pictures with it and with my wife posed next to it for scale. Um, that's like one experience to have. My only concern is like if that's the only experience you're looking for, that's when it becomes problematic. Like mix it up a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I think there should be something to do beyond taking selfies. There should be some like like Scott said before, you should be able to enjoy the experience if you don't have your phone on you. The other thing is the production quality has to be super high, I think. Um, it should look good in real life. And I think, you know, obviously, I don't think we've talked about Kusama at all, but obviously a lot of these exhibitions are taking cues from what's going on in the um, art world. So I think we'll continue to see these spaces emerge, and I don't think they're necessarily detrimental to what's going on in art. And I guess what the, the main difference to 
the artworks, even probably with the custom of Bonin experience or the rain room or, you know, a lot of artists that deal with technology whose work can kind of get reduced down to just being a selfie playground or being eye candy. It's, there's usually some complex and, and thoughtful idea coming behind what's there. With the egg house, there is this idea of the universality of the egg with maybe some of the other ones. There, there's, there's some kind of just like idea of joy. And that's a theme that permeates through a lot of art as well. Um, there's also a lot of pretty dumb art that's made, uh, or at least in my opinion. So, so I don't, I don't know. I, I, I think that these things aren't necessarily so different and that my, if I had like a crystal ball, I think we'll look back on this time as like an interesting inflection point at which a lot of these different things are getting negotiated. And maybe there is a more kind of consumer centric art experience that can evolve out of these if these are kind of initial experiments of what uh, of what an experiential art environment at scale can be. You know, I, I, I don't see these going away, but I also only see them getting better. All right. Uh, where in the art world uh, will you be drinking white wine? I don't think there's a museum of white wine yet but they're actually well are you serious i want to name drop there's a museum in stockholm called the spirit museum it's uh. essentially sponsored by absolute vodka pretty weird pretty cool museum <laughs> there's a little bit of art and then there's like a history of alcohol including this sort of immersive installation that acts like it makes you feel like you're getting drunker over the course of an evening and it's supposed to be like a public service announcement to make you not want to get drunk it's a very strange excellent place we haven't started drinking white wine yet, though it may seem like it. Um, Scott, where will you uh, be checking out this week? Um, it's a show I've already seen, but I will definitely go back and see again. It's Jordan Wolfson's Riverboat Song at Zwerner Gallery. It's up through June 30th. Um, I feel like he's an artist a lot of people kind of love to hate, but I just love him. And uh, it's sort of, it's not a selfie opportunity by any means, but it's very entertaining. Um, there's like CGI animations of like smoking rats and a crocodile. There's a... Uh, like kind of a strip tease to an Iggy Azalea song. It's a Bob Dylan cameo in terms of music that's probably not licensed. It's a really great experience. Uh, <laughs> Casey? I am going to go to the Brooklyn Museum. Cecilia Vicuña has a show opening. She's um, a Chilean artist. And this uh, show includes immersive installations inspired by kipus, which were these um, Andean knotted cord devices used for record keeping. She also has a show opening at um, Lehman Maupin in Chelsea. And Alex, what about you? I'm going to go see um, Mary Corse's uh, first solo museum survey, uh, which is opening at the Whitney Museum on June 8th. She's a really phenomenal painter that came out of the light and space movement um, that's, you know, kind of been really long overdue for uh, institutional attention like this. There's also extension of the exhibition or a permanent gallery opening uh, of her work at Dia Beacon um, that's actually starting in May 2018, but I'm not sure exactly when it opens, but really exciting to see her getting recognized. I will be going to the costume show at the Met, which of course inspired this year's gala. The theme was uh, Heavenly Bodies, so some really cool uh, outfits there. That's all we have time for this week. Thanks so much, Alex. 
Casey and Scott for joining me here. This was a good, this was a robust debate. Thank, thank you. Please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes if you haven't already. The music is by Broke for Free. Our producer this week was Luis Sinsano with help from Soraya Tuba. See you next time.